So as long as it's fair, as long as it's voluntary, inequality is fine. Inequality is great. We want those who succeed to be more rewarded than those who destroy value. But in the sense of our current environment, we have really sinister inequality. If everybody, you know, if, if the water's flowing and everyone is benefiting, right? Everyone's cup is filled. Um, people are happy, right? They have better things to do than to line up outside of someone's house and threaten to chop their head off. You know, I, I don't think we should be setting up guillotines anywhere. And that's, that's why I love Bitcoin. It's the peaceful revolution, right? Um, but why do people want to set up these guillotines? Because they know the system isn't working. Um, it's not working for them. And despite, you know, working very hard at, um, at many jobs and climbing the ladders, it's still, uh, you know, the, the prospects for retirement, uh, even even the ability to afford a home today is, is just, it, it, it's, it's outside of the reach of so many very hardworking Americans. The system is not serving them. Uh, this, the system stratifies wealth uh, through asset inflation and uh, in disproportionate access to, to assets. Hello and welcome to Tucson Blockchain Podcast. Today I have on Robert Roman, who's a local financial advisor here in Tucson. I stumbled across him because one of the local news channels did a story on him providing financial education to the community. And I just wanted to pick his brain on why he felt that it was important. And it turned out to be a really, really good conversation. I definitely think this is a must listen to. And thanks for stopping by the podcast. And we're recording. Uh, today I have on Robert Roman. You're an investment advisor uh, representative at Transamerica Financial Advisors and the secret senior marketing director at World Financial Group. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Sure. Thanks for being on. So I found you, I um, one of the local t- Tucson news stations uh, did a story on you being uh, providing public education around uh, financial planning. Um, How did you get into that? You know, it's funny. Um, It's something that um, I got into almost by accident that I I guess I always had a little interest in money. And, you know, I always was um, just something that I felt like was important. Even as a kid, I saw my parents struggle with money. So I took an interest in that, even though I ended up being uh, an airplane mechanic uh, for the U.S. Air Force. And I feel like being in the Air Force, I learned that I didn't know anything about money and I didn't make a lot of money. And so it really created some challenges for me. And I I basically reached out to a friend of mine who was uh, going through some sort of licensing. I didn't know what it was at the time, but he said, oh, I'm in the financial industry. And he said, I could maybe help you or I have some partners that can help you. And um, long story short, you know, at 21 years old, he helped me to start saving and and basically building a plan, um, which I didn't think I could do. And that moved me in a way where I was like really fascinated by, I was like, man, he really made an impact in my life. And I was kind of frustrated where I was. And uh, the flip side is I didn't think I could do it. I didn't think I could be in the financial business, but um, I really just took a passion of like what it, what it did for me. And I felt like it changed the direction I was going. So, um, you know, it meant a lot and um, I liked him and we had fun and I ended up uh, staying in the military and doing this at the same time, part-time. 
and the military gave me a decision to make of uh, you got to re-enlist or you got to get out. And, and I just kind of said, you know, maybe this is my, my path. And so I, I jumped in. And uh, so it's been a little over 20 years now that I've been uh, doing this in the financial world. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, there's not a whole lot of education that goes into teaching people about money or what to do with it. And uh, it makes the role of financial advisors so important in our communities. So what, what exactly do you do as a financial advisor? Yeah, I mean, the, the, we, we do a lot. And the, the primary role that I see that I have um, is almost like a teacher. Like, you know, a lot of people don't know what they don't know. And so it becomes, it's like, okay, if I don't know anything about, you know, building a missile, for example, or, or fixing an airplane, you don't know, even know what questions to ask. And so what I try to do is figure out, okay, where are people at? What is their interest level in really learning this stuff? And, you know, so number one, focusing on education, um, making sure that they have kind of all these check marks, you know, next to the areas that they're, you know, have some questions on. And then what we do is we try to build a, a plan and that plan revolves around, you know, fairly basic principles, um, you know, paying yourself first. So saving money, paying down debt, understanding interest, understanding the effects of taxes, understanding the effects of the rising cost of living, you know, so if you save money under your mattress and the cost of your groceries goes up 3% a year, you have a problem, you're losing money. Um, and a lot of these concepts, again, people don't know. So we focus on the education. We then focus on building a strategy, almost like if you were to see a, uh, a fitness professional, somebody who says, hey, I, you know, what's your goal, Alex? And you say, well, I want to gain some muscle and lose some fat. They're going to put you on a program and, uh, and some things to do. And so we try to then give people the guidance and, and the support and the encouragement and the motivation because, you know, uh, many people are digging themselves out of a deep hole financially with debt and it can take some time. So we just really try to believe people, support them, encourage them, guide them, help them make the right choices, um, help them not make the wrong choices, which is really equally as important. Um, because again, a lot of people don't know what they don't know. And there's thousands of investment ideas and products and, and there's a lot of things that are great. And there's a lot of things that are not so great. So we just try to help kind of steer the ship and, uh, and guide people to, to make the right choices and help them execute those choices. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I had somebody ask me uh, yesterday about financial advice and I just told them, you know, if you don't have goals, you're not going to get anywhere. Um, that's right. And that's, that's like the foundational, uh, the biggest foundation to have um, when you're getting your money, right? It's not put, X amount of money in this stock and watch it go to the moon and then buy a Lamborghini. It's <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. You're, you know, you're right. It's, you know, it's in the, in the cool thing is, man, the thing that I've learned, and I think one of the reasons that, you know, doing this for 20 years, I'm, I'm, I'm very passionate to this day about it. And it's not something that I have to like, Oh, I got to go do this because I really realize anybody can do it. Like you don't need to make a lot of money. Yes. If you make more money, does it help? No doubt. But people, they don't understand their spending habits. They don't understand what it's really costing them to eat out every day. They don't understand that they're probably spending much more at this age than their parents were at that same age proportionately. And so we, we really just, you know, a lot of this is, uh, they say success is the study of the obvious. 
Um, and so we try to say, oh yeah, this is not rocket science. Everybody can do it. Just like anybody can get, you know, muscles at the gym. But the problem is a lot of people don't stick with it. So um, we're definitely fighting that current as well, you know. Yeah, it's pretty tough. And the implications of uh, not taking care of your money are pretty terrible. You know, there's just so many people that can't retire. And you look at the way that uh, poverty is destroying our community. Um, and especially with the COVID crisis, it just amplifies everything. If you're doing well, you're probably doing good. And if you weren't, then you're probably doing terrible. Like, yeah. uh, people are hurting, man. A lot of people, um, you know, service industry, bartenders. I mean, I think people in all areas are hurting, but some people definitely more than others. Um, you know, and so I, I, I just feel like, man, you know, this is a moment that we're all on the earth at the same time. And there's a lot of hate and there's a lot of like fighting in the world. And I just say, all right, if people can get more, I guess, less financial pressure in their life, can they, can they be a better human being in the world? You know, is it, is it a better quality of life if you don't have credit card debt? You know, are you less stressed if you don't have all these, these things? And so I really feel like it's just like, man, working together and teaching people and educating people. And the schools are not doing it, man. Like, it's almost laughable um, with respect. Like, you know, I was teaching, uh, I was asked to come speak at um, uh, Sienega High School, uh, probably, a little blurred on the time about a year or so ago now and uh, since then they've removed their economics classes mm. which is like interesting because I was in there and I was personally see, you know I've never taught kids before in my life and I was like okay let me do my best and I really saw some of those kids they were they were interested man they were excited they were like oh we like talking about this we like talking about interest and taxes and and I was thinking, man, it's a shame that these kids are probably not getting it at home because the parents don't know any better. They're not getting it at the school. And a lot of the social influences that they see, like you said, oh, I'm driving a Ferrari, check me out. That's probably the wrong example to be following. You know, it's not about the Ferrari. So I just feel like it's a time in history, man, where, you know, they're going to study this when we're all dead and gone. And we can make a difference by helping people somehow with their money, you know, and just make better choices. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, financial stress is uh, a huge burden to carry um, that a lot of Americans have. And what's kind of crazy about it is it, it seems like from a behavioral standpoint, it actually influences you to kind of engage in short-term thinking and it's harder to break out of it. So you know, the difference for a kid that grows up in a stable household versus a economically unstable household is just night and day difference um, as far as like building wealth. And so uh, it would be nice to have these classes taught in schools. I actually uh, had an awesome interview uh, about a month ago with a local teacher named John Garza, who is like teaching kids about um, money and at a middle school. And I thought that was so unique and, and different. And it's a, really a shame that it's not built into the basic curriculum, but something that's also wild is like the teachers aren't educated in it too. Um, and it's funny you say that because um, there was something in the state of Arizona. I don't remember, you know, the, 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 the way that they phrased this, but they were going to bring, financial education into certain parts of the high schools around the state. 
And I actually sat in a Department of Education building in downtown Phoenix, and I didn't ask a lot of questions in that meeting. And there was one question that I asked, and, and I stood up and I said, who is going to teach the teachers? So if the teachers are going to teach this, who's going to teach the teachers? And their response, there's no budget to teach the teachers. So I said, thank you. And I took my seat. And in my mind, I said, if the blind lead the blind, we all end up in the ditch. Mm -hmm. And so if the teachers are not educated, how in the world are they going to actually be able to articulate that information? You know, and so I just felt like, you know, we've, we've, yeah, it's a, it's a wide stemming problem that, you know, it's like reading and writing, man, it's a life skill. And if you can't read and write, you're in trouble. I really think that. Mm -hmm. And I also believe financial literacy is a life skill. It's, you know, uh, money's not up there. Money's not everything, but it's up there with oxygen. And if you don't have it, like you said, it's a lot of short-term thinking. It's a lot of like, well, you know, I got to make this happen now and pay my bills. And, and, you know, and sometimes people make poor choices. And so, um, again, I just feel like it's a, it's a, it's a wellness thing, man. I, even during COVID, we've kind of labeled ourselves in our office as wealth care workers rather than healthcare, because we feel like it's a big concern. People are stressed out, you know, and people are worried about their future and their kids. And so, um, but it, it's, it needs to start in the homes. It needs to start in the schools. Will that change? You know, we'll, we're going to find out for sure. But yeah, I feel like, you know, we can make a difference. So, yeah. I mean, a big reason why I got into this was because I didn't have any financial education myself. Um, and, you know, there's so many good resources out there for people, but, you know, a lot of people just don't see the importance of it until it's too late. Um, and I, I just got tired of, um, and really sad because as I got into working, I was working with a lot of people that should be retired and they were unable to, and they were working, you know, jobs that didn't pay anything. Um, and it, you know, it's, I don't, I don't want to like disparage anybody. Um, and I think, when it comes down to is it, it, it's a part of a much larger system um, and the way that money works in our society. And money is something that just isn't thought about a ton. It, it's kind of, I had a guy on a pod on the podcast that he described it. Um, money is kind of like uh, water to a fish, you know, they just like assume it's there, you know, money means, you know, me buying groceries or paying for my gas or something like that nobody really takes the time to figure out where it's coming from or, you know, uh, how does it fundamentally work? And, and, and so it, it is a, yeah, it is a, a lifestyle for sure. Um, and it's just, you know, the, the problem, one of the big issues I have is inflation, you know, and I see inflation as being one of the biggest causes of, uh, pain across the country and creating wealth inequality, like unfair wealth inequality, um, because people don't know what it is. They're just, you know, if you're not making your money work for you, kind of like you talked about with um, paying yourself first and having that mentality, if you're not making your money work for you, you're constantly getting poorer and poorer because of inflation and, and, you know, that's not something that minimum wage uh, solves in the slightest. No. Um, but yeah, what, what are some issues that you see um, in Tucson um, as a whole economically? 
it, it's actually, it's a great question. Um, there's, there's a few things that I see here. Um, I feel like I have some advantage that when I was in the military, you know, growing up in New York and kind of living different places, I've experienced a lot of different cultures. Um, in Tucson, I see there is a very casual, because here's one of the, here's one of the, the realities of Tucson. It's a very affordable city to live in, comparing it to other cities this size in the United States. I mean, if you look at the cost of gasoline, or I mean, no real estate's a little out of control right now, but in its, in its, I think we're all seeing it change. It's kind of starting to cost more here. Mm -hmm. um, but I feel like because for so long it's been very, you know, um, you, can, you can survive on minimum wage, it, it almost seems, that a lot of people have become very complacent. And, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example. I met a gentleman who worked at the Tucson Airport Authority. He had been there for 20 plus years. And he was a, he was a rock star. He was like one of their top people. And we went through a financial analysis and I was like, okay, you know, how much do they pay you per year, hourly salary, whatnot? And he says, I make about 30 grand a year. And I stopped for a minute and I said, wait a minute, you've been there for 20 years. Like, you know, what do you mean you make 30,000? And he says, almost like he was confused about my, my question. Like, why would I make more money? Cause I've been here for 20 years is it was his mindset. And I'm like, man, it's an interesting thing that there's a lot of this almost complacent mindset of, you know, um, if we lived in Southern California and your rent on an apartment was, you know, $2,000, for example, people say, man, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta have a different lifestyle. And because we can, we can live on a lot less money here. A lot of people become very complacent. I think that's a, it's a real challenge. I think another challenge is, um, when you just look at proper, uh, financial planning, a lot of people don't have life insurance. Um, we see car washes, especially you go to the, you know, certain neighborhoods in, in, in Tucson, um, you see car washes because they're trying to raise money to bury somebody. And that same somebody that they're burying, I really want you to think about this. That person more than likely has insurance on their iPhone, their car, their television, their house, whatever they have, they have all that stuff insured, but a lot of people don't own life insurance. And again, if you have debt or if you have a spouse, if you have children, um, we just lost a, a good friend of ours, man. Um, 40 year old friend of mine in my office. Uh, you know, I thought about this guy every day for the past, you know, month and a half that he's been gone. But he, you know, 40 years old came into our office with, you know, minimal savings, no life insurance, no retirement plan. And through this education, he started to say, wow, I should really look at some life insurance. And I was like, wow, you got to think about it. You know, not thinking something's going to happen, you know, truthfully. And I said, you got to think about it. And, and he started to really get educated. He put some things in place and no exaggeration, 90 days later, he passed away. And his family to this moment, we're still dealing with it, working on these claims. Um, I'm thinking, man, what if he didn't do that? You know, his family would be out begging for money. And so people, there's an old saying that proper preparation prevents poor performance. Um, you know, if you, drive, if you own a vehicle, you're going to need new tires. Let's be honest. You're going to need to buy new tires sooner or later. Tires are not cheap. So rather than go out and party on the weekend, you should be saving for a set of tires, even when you don't need the tires. And so there's a lot of this mindset of you only live once, Rob. We want to go have a good time. You know, we've been locked up in COVID. I deserve it. I work hard. And I go, no, 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 I understand. But we've got to realize the, the traditional way people would retire in this country is like a three-legged stool. 
symbolized by social security, personal savings, and public pensions or whatever pensions people had. But none of us have pensions anymore. I mean, I really yep. want you to think about it. And they're all unfunded. And they're all unfunded and they're all insolvent. And so the challenge is social security is about 1500 bucks a month average. And so our future literally depends on what we're doing with our money and what we're doing today. And so um, there's just a lot of complacency problem, lack of, lack of planning problem I see, but I feel like that's probably not Tucson. I feel like that's probably many zip codes in this country. Um, we just see, see more of it here. Um, just, you know, in general, man, a lot of people don't have a plan. They don't have a plan. They spend more time planning a birthday party or a wedding or a vacation than they do planning their money and their future and getting, getting out of debt. They don't spend any time on that stuff. And so it's just got to be something that families talk about at the kitchen table, not like, oh, money, 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 because that's not what it's about. But it's like, hey, we bought a house. They gave us a 30-year loan. We learned the word mortgage in Latin means death pledge. We get some education here and we're going to pay it off and we're going to save $100,000 in interest. And we're going to teach our kids that we saved $100,000 in interest because, so I just feel like it needs to be more of an open discussion that people are... Uh, are talking about and people are not so embarrassed about if they need help and so there's there's a lot man you can you can you can go on and on there's a there's a lot of widespread issues that we see here in tucson though yeah yeah i mean what what i hear you um talking about is something that uh this economist i enjoy named uh Saifedina most calls the fiat disease and uh has to do with the issuance of money and, and one of the things he talks about is how a inflationary money really impacts the way that society um, responds to it. And uh, it's kind of a top-down approach. I mean, our, our elected officials are spending like crazy, you know, with no, ex no intent of ever uh, paying back that debt. And uh, they're trying to come up with all sorts of crazy arguments for why it doesn't matter. Um, but it's really dangerous because, you know, it, 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 inflation in our government, is, it's like an addiction and things are okay as long as you have the drug, you know, and then the second you don't, it gets really, really bad. And it's a painful decision to get off. And it's the same thing with somebody like dumping all this money into credit card debt. Like, sure, you can get nice things um, or, or financing like a nicer car than they need to. Um, or leasing a car, which is the worst, but, um, it, you know, you get these nice things, but eventually you hit a brick wall and you have to pay for it. Um, and yeah, but it's not, it's not free money, you know, it's not, no. um, and I, you know, I don't know if you, I grew up in the era where like at Christmas time, you know, cause my parents both worked and, you know, kind of middle, middle-class family, um, and for Christmas and for things, my mom would go to the stores and there was a thing called layaway where, mm -hmm. you know, there was, there was no credit. It was like, oh, you want to buy those items? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to put those items aside for you. You don't get them today. You don't get them today. And you can come in and make a payment every, every two weeks, every 30 days, whatever you like until it's paid off. And once it's paid off, we'll give you all the goods. And what happened is banks and credit card companies have basically commoditized loans by issuing credit cards. And I really want you just to think about this. 
So imagine if you, you know, wanted to go buy a, a, I don't know, a home entertainment system or a big screen TV or something like this where you don't have the money and you're going to finance it. If you went down to the store to Best Buy or Amazon or whatever, and you find the TV, what is the likelihood, seriously, that you're going to then say, okay, I found what I like. I'm going to go to my bank. I'm going to drive to my bank and I'm going to apply for a loan and see if they approve me for a loan. Nobody would do that. But a credit card effectively has taken that process and it's commoditized the loan application. And yep. we say, oh, hey, Alex, we're going to put that loan in your pocket 24-7 because we know you're undisciplined. We know you're payday to payday because you tell us your income. And it's literally a system of, I mean, some of these interest rates that I see, because I really try to pay attention and point it out to people and ask them, hey, what is your interest rate? Especially when they're like, oh, I don't know. Um, I saw some recently where uh, we had a business owner he went to one of those uh, um, uh, car title payday loan shops oh, no. that they credit they, they pray on. Yeah. yeah, and he had a hundred and twenty-two percent interest rate, and I couldn't believe it. That's I couldn't absurd. believe it. And I, yeah, it, it, I said that sh that shouldn't be legal. Like if I was a regulator, if I was a lawmaker, whatever. Like because the people who are going in there are they're not that educated. You know what I mean? And they're preying on those people. The credit cards have preyed on the people in a different format. So I just feel like debt is, debt is out of control, man. And again, the people are a reflection of the government or is the government a reflection of the people? Because everybody's spending out of control, you know, and it seems that the COVID situation has helped. I guess the savings rates are up in America right now because people are concerned, but, um, but yeah, the debt, debt, debt is, debt is, debt is, that is the opposite of freedom. You know, you're not financially free if you owe people money. And, uh, you know, America, we talk about freedom, but it's like, hey, if we're 26 trillion in the hole, how, how deep do we have to dig before they consider this a grave rather than a rut? You know what sure. I mean? So um, it's a real problem that people need to pay attention to. But, but again, we can't solve the government's dilemma. We have to really look at our own situation, our own households and mm -hmm. spending and college loans and credit cards. And like you said, vehicles. Um, you know, you could, you could spend 70,000 bucks on a pickup truck nowadays without any problems, you know? So um, the education is important, you know? The, so a lot of these ideas that all kind of tie together, for example, debt elimination and emergency funds really work well together because if you don't have an emergency fund and you have, a, uh, and you have a, a, an emergency, you're going into debt usually, you know? So it's like a lot of this stuff is really intertwined uh, to work yep. together. So. Yep. Yeah, you know, you're in a bad neighborhood when you see the title loan shops. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> just, yeah, I mean, they're, they're not going to be able to operate in the foothills because people know better than that. But yeah, I mean, pe people that are desperate, they'll, they'll pay on or prey on. It's really, really unfortunate. Um, oh, so what's your favorite part of Tucson? My favorite part of Tucson man, there's a few things that I really love about Tucson. Um, I love the weather we're about to go through here pretty soon that the summer's, you know, almost over. Um, I love, I love the, the, the beauty of Tucson, man. Like, you know, growing up in, in upstate New York, uh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful in a different way because of the colors and the trees and all that. But um, Tucson has, you know, and I've been very fortunate to see different parts of the world and Asia and Europe and whatnot. 
And I've never experienced anything like Tucson sunsets. Like it really is mm. something that is, is a very special thing. Um, the desert, you know, I, I sit, I, I have a big window here at my office and sometimes I see a little lizard run by outside and as crazy as it sounds like that fascinates me, man, because I grew up as a kid, like in New York and there's no lizards. And so I love the outdoors, uh, part of Tucson. I love the food of Tucson. Um, I have a love hate relationship with the pace of Tucson. It's a little behind the times. It seems, uh, you know, the traffic, you know, the, the roads, it doesn't make a lot of sense the way we do some things here. We eliminate the turning lanes on, on uh, Grant to go onto Oracle. You can't turn anymore. It's like, yeah. I've never seen this in any city in my life. And I'm like, who, who did this? It doesn't make a lot of sense, but so, but I know, but I love Tucson and I love, uh, I love the food and I love the outside and the weather and all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, one of my favorite parts is just like the, the deep and rich history that's here. And um, yeah, I mean, that's just something that's so awesome about the South, Southwest. And, you know, something that was really uh, cool for me. So for anybody listening, I highly suggest Pima Community College rather than four years at the University of Arizona. If you're planning on going to college, it's just a no brainer. There's no, unless somebody's paying for your school or you get a full all out scholarship, like it makes no sense to pay the money to go to the University of Arizona for the first two years. And on top of that, you'll get a, you'll probably get a transfer uh, scholarship, which, you know, is what I got. I'm a junior at the University of Arizona, but um, going to Pima Community College, I was just amazed with how um, diverse the city is. Um, because I grew up in, you know, the white suburbs out in Chicago and uh, um, it was so refreshing to um, be a minority um, and to experience so many different cultures and viewpoints. Um, and I found that incredibly special. Um, it is special. It, it really is. It's like, um, it's a, and it's a great point, man, because like some of the, 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 the cultural things like, you know, I mean, I'm around, you know, 99% of the time, Hispanic, you know, family, friends, you know, just relationships that I'm in. And it's like so many things that I've learned, man, like just like culturally about the way they view family, the way they view community. Um, it's, it's different from like where I grew up. And so like you said, it's like, you know, it's so refreshing to get that like diversity and really, you know, it's so healthy to open your eyes to say, oh man, okay, they, they, they live different ways doing some different things here, but there's a lot of value in, in the way that they, you know, just work and family and just, so yeah, it's, it's an awesome diverse city that we have. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel a lot of hope for our city, despite a lot of the setbacks that we're facing. Um, especially with the school system being so terrible, but, uh, you know, with, um, advents of technology, there's no reason that people can't learn today. Um, if they have the willingness to do it and, um, the hard part is convincing people the importance of it, but, um, but yeah, I mean, there's just so many good people and so much opportunity, um, uh, to be able to build things and, and do cool things despite, um, setbacks. Uh, okay. 2020 has been one heck of a year so far. Um, what is, uh, something that's helping you move forward and have hope for the future? You know what? I think a couple of things that, 
the way that I look at this whole COVID situation is I feel like it's sped, it's sped up society about 15 years of where we were already going, you know, with technology and people working from home. And now everybody's talking about electric vehicles all of a sudden, and, and it's really accelerated it. And so, you know, I know initially, you know, cause I'm like everybody else. I'm like, okay, you know, how do we operate? If we can't see people, how do we, how do we, how do we do this? Um, and so we've really, um, it, it gives me hope because I look at like a, like a technology like this that, you know, yes, you're here. We're probably not that far across town or whatever, but you could be in a different part of the planet and we can effectively have the same sort of interaction. And so mm -hmm. it's, it's something that if people embrace it and, you know, again, with, with the freaking device that all of us are carrying, you know, everybody's got a smartphone the access to the information is like that. And with, you know, 5G technology coming, so video conferencing and things like this, it's like, oh yeah, you can be real time. You can be interacting with physicians and doctors. So I feel like there's a lot of hope in the sense that there's people in parts of the world who don't have access to certain things. There's people in, and it's going to accelerate their access. And so it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a blessing. Um, that again, the people have got to kind of look for it. You know, it's one of those things that you may not recognize it because um, a lot of, it's very easy to see the, the glass is half empty as well, where it's like, well, there's a lot of challenges and elections and, and all this stuff. And, um, but, I, but I feel like it's given me a lot of hope because our, what we do like on a day-to-day -day basis, we've been busier than ever. Like we've been busier than ever meeting with people in various, you know, you know, some elderly person and they're now embracing technology and they don't need to drive to the office or we don't need to drive, you know, to, to Phoenix. And so I think it's saving, um, it's efficient, it's effective, it's saving gasoline, it's saving pollution, it's cutting down on emissions, it's cutting down on all the stuff for the environment, uh, people are driving less. Um, and I feel like the, the information is going to accelerate. We're in that, we're in that era of this is the information era, man. You know, you can learn a language, you can learn money, you can learn dancing. We have someone in our office that teaches guitar lessons through Zoom. Um, and it's like, you know, I would have never thought that that's possible because I think before COVID, a lot of people would reject the idea of that. They say, well, no, I like to do it in person. And I feel like it's so, it's, it's, it's gonna open up doors for a lot of people, a lot of young people, a lot of, you know, um, just people in general who, who embrace it. So I, I feel like there's a lot of, a lot of good in that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good take. Um, it, it definitely has opened up the door for entrepreneurs to, to be able to build and fix things in different ways. And I think that's really, really cool because when you adopt the mindset of being an entrepreneur, it changes your perspective on everything. Um, and I, I would argue for the better, um, because instead of just being kind of lost in the system, you get to present solutions in society and try and fix things. Um, so yeah, where, where can people find uh, your work and what you're doing? Well, I mean, the easiest way um, is, uh, you know, they can call us, they can text us, they can email us. Um, I will just give you my, uh, the best number to reach us on is uh, 520-603-1111. Um, you can call that number, you could text that number. Um, they could also email, I'll give you my, uh, my personal email. It is rob.roman, R-O-M-A-N, 
at TFA, stands for Transamerica Financial Advisors, the word connect, tfaconnect.com. Um, either of those is a good place to reach out, you know, questions, comments. Um, and a lot of times people say, hey, you know, can you send me some resources? And rather than just send them to like a general website, we can kind of, we have a lot of materials, um, workbooks, training books, um, just different resources that, that we can send through PDF that, you know, people can just, oh, hey, let me skim through some of this info. Um, and then we can also share, um, we take in some of our financial education workshops and we've recorded them. So uh, someone says, hey, I would like to maybe go through this in the form of a workshop. Here's some material, here's some web links, go through it at your own pace, no, no cost, you know, nothing to buy at the end. It's nothing, you know, we, we wanna just really bring this education to people. So um, yeah, they can definitely reach out and any sort of question or concern they may have, we can try to help the best we can. Yeah, that's so huge. Um, and for people listening, there's not um, just a one, uh, one size fits all, you know, and that's kind of what I'm hearing you say is you're willing to work with people on their individual goals and help them instead of, yeah. 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 There's so, no, there's no cookie cutter. It's, it's like, everybody's a little different. Everybody's goals are different. Everybody's, you know, situations, you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes you meet young people and they make, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year and they don't know about taxes. And, and so, yeah, yeah, everybody's a little different. Um, so we want to definitely customize it for the, for the person themselves. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you coming on and doing the interview. Yeah. Thanks for having me, man. It's been yeah. awesome, you know, for sure. Yeah, that was a really fun interview. And I feel like Robert is just a really good guy if you're looking to get your finances in order to talk to. And he gave his contact info in the podcast. Um, but yeah, I really appreciate him coming on and appreciated his time. If you want to support what I'm doing here at Tucson Blockchain, probably the best way to do it is just to, you know, subscribe to my content in any way possible, whether it's, you know, uh, listening to the podcast on a regular basis, uh, leaving a review, sharing your thoughts, hopefully giving me a good review. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, you can donate Bitcoin if you want to. Uh, and that'd be super helpful because I do have expenses for the things that I'm doing. Everything's coming out of pocket right now. So any support that you could give me and what I'm doing would be awesome and it all goes back into the business i'm not doing this to get rich or make money i'm doing this to really hopefully help you um in your process with uh getting your finances in order learning what money is and ultimately accepting bitcoin into your life thanks for stopping by